You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is Psalm 30, a Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, by the way, 9 a.m. looks amazing on you. You didn't know it, but you are a morning person. God made you a morning person. And one of the reasons we gather Sunday mornings, believe it or not, is because the earliest Christians would meet before the dawn. You think 9 a.m. is tough. Before the dawn on Sundays, and not just Easter, every Sunday, And they would watch the sunrise as they worshiped the Lord. It was a part of their liturgy. And as the sun rose, bringing light and life, it would serve as a tangible reminder of the new creation that has come into this world through the resurrection of Jesus. That darkness is fleeting and temporary. And that God's newness is faithful to meet us over and over and over again. And because of Jesus, and because of the empty tomb, A new day has dawned. Now, for the last couple months, we've been walking through one of the Old Testament books called the Psalms. It's a very familiar book of the Bible. And what we've been doing is we've been looking at various Psalms that offer us rich language to express our hearts to God in pretty much every season of life, whether it's seasons of lament or confession or thanksgiving. And today, on Easter Sunday, we are going to go out with a bang, and we're looking at a psalm of joyful praise. But let's be honest for a second. Well, let's be honest all morning. But let's be honest and acknowledge that this is a very odd time to be talking about joy. And some may even argue that this is not an appropriate time to be talking about joy. We've just concluded two grueling years of life being turned upside down due to pandemic. In our church, we've experienced Some of us have experienced some significant agonizing losses. Research has shown that despite restrictions being lifted 
and COVID cases getting better, you know, going back to normal or whatever the heck that means, there continues to be significant and steady decline in overall life satisfaction and happiness. We thought we'd be happy again, and we're not. There's also a massive amount of tension and fear over the war in Ukraine, flood of just unpleasant emotions as we watch in horror and worry, you know, in anticipation on pins and needles about what our future involvement is going to look like in this conflict. Our nation continues to suffer from political division, economic instability, oh gosh, threats of like another recession and the ongoing deep-seated racial disparity that exists. And in our own city, there's been a massive, massive uptick in violence and crime. It feels like every time that you check in to our, our, your local news, you are anticipating reading about another shooting and another homicide. I woke up to the news of three more this weekend. And here we are in the middle of such a tense moment in history, talking about joy as if we are blind and as if we are just like indifferent towards what's going on in the world. But like those early believers meeting at dawn, we don't simply live according to the darkness that is around us, but we who have trusted in Jesus live according to what we know is coming over the horizon. We live between two days, so to speak, with one foot in the night and one foot in the morning, between what is and what we know with confidence will be. This is the joy and this is the hopefulness that is ours through the resurrection. Now history tells us that on a Saturday night in 1799, it was the Saturday night before Easter Sunday, one of Napoleon's troops, numbering about 18,000 soldiers led by a general named General Messina, set up camp outside a defenseless little Austrian town. And the town was gripped with fear and despair as they awoke the next morning and saw countless tents of these soldiers in the hills around them waiting at daybreak to invade their town. And so the town gathered for this sort of ad hoc council meeting to determine what to do. And many in the town were convinced that they needed to send a representative with a sort of a key to the city as a symbol of surrender. Don't hurt us. We're, we're yours to do whatever you want. But the dean of the church spoke up in this meeting and he said, for goodness sakes, this is Easter morning. And he went on to say, you know, like all of this, Napoleon's army, all of this is so outside of our control. But what we can and what we must do is celebrate the resurrection of Jesus with joy while we still can. And that is exactly what they did. They began to ring the church bells as loud and as long as possible. And slowly but surely, the entire village came out of hiding in their houses, dressed in their Sunday best, walking to church. And they together celebrated Easter. And as General Messina heard the sounds, these strange sounds of church bells, and he looked from the hills and saw all these people coming together to gather, he realized that there had to be something that he was missing. He must have miscalculated this equation. There was no way that this town could be that joyful under this circumstance. 
And so what he concluded was that there had to be something else, that maybe this town was being defended by the Austrian army who was now hiding in the woods waiting to ambush the French. There could be no other reason for this sort of joyful celebration. And so he called for an emergency retreat, all 18,000 men gone. And as the Easter service concluded, the people poured out of the church and they looked up at the hills and they were empty. The entire army was gone. Uh, a theologian from today named Willie James Jennings said that joy is an act of resistance against all of the forces of despair. Joy says, nah. Joy doesn't disregard the presence of pain or brokenness or, or darkness. It doesn't bury its head in the sand and pretend like everything's okay. But it does, however, refuse to give in to hopelessness. Joy refuses to accept that darkness is final. And what true joy seeks to do is it seeks to attach itself to something, or more specifically today, someone who is more permanent. Something that will outlast sickness. Something that will outlast sorrow. Something that will outlast strife in this world. Something that will even outlast death itself. But the psalm proclaims to us, the death and resurrection of Jesus promises us that while sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. Sorrow is real, but sorrow is temporary. But the joy of the new day is forever. It's forever. Now the context of the psalm of David was some sort of sickness that was leading to death. At one point in his life, because of his wealth and because of his prosperity, King David got arrogant. And he thought that he was untouchable. Like many of us at various points in his life, he was strutting about in life thinking, I am unstoppable. Nothing can stop me now. Until literally, he was stopped dead in his tracks. He thought this silly thing that I think maybe some of us believe today as well. He thought that God's blessing upon his life meant that he was immune from heartache and death. And so God did this sort of like tough love kind of thing. He hid his face. He allowed David to see just how weak and vulnerable he really was. And while we don't know what the exact experience is that David is describing here, we do know that it was quite severe. Death was knocking on his door. He had one foot in the grave, and he was sinking quick, and he was right at the brink of death. And just then, when all hope was lost, ready to depart silently into Sheol, which is like the land of the dead, he was about to depart. He says, the hand of God reached down to me. And the imagery that we have here is pretty vivid. We're told in verses one through three, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help 
and you have healed me. O Lord, you brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Like we see elsewhere in scripture, death is referred to here as an enemy. Death is not some sort of natural circle of life that we stoically surrender to and and try to make ourselves as comfortable as possible as as we face. No, the Bible says that death is a foe. Death is an enemy, one that not only David resists against, but more importantly, that God himself resists against. God himself seeks to overcome and defeat death. And David says, I will praise you with joy because, in other words, my reason for joy today is that you have drawn me up from the grave. You have healed and restored my life when I was sinking. I'm looking around and I'm seeing this very testimony among the men, women, and children here today. You raised me up when I was sinking. And this word here in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament Hebrew, drawn up, is used elsewhere in the scriptures to describe a bucket being lowered down into a well and then drawing up water. Now I just rewatched uh, Batman Begins. And there's this scene at the beginning where young Bruce Wayne falls into this dark well, too deep, too steep to climb out of. And there he faces, you know, and is confronted with fear and death and bats and, you know, whatever else. And all of the sudden, all of the sudden, his father repels down into the well and reaches out his hand to draw him up. The picture here that we're given is not just a lifeline or some sort of impersonal religious rope being lowered down so that we can sort of climb up out of our pit. I think many of us imagine Christianity like this, that God drops some sort of rope down to us and says, all right, if you can make it, climb on out. The image here is remarkable. The psalmist says, you brought me up. In other words, you came down into the pit to lift me up out of it. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus. And what the psalm alludes to here and tells us implicitly, the New Testament tells us clearly and explicitly. In Hebrews chapter 2, we're told this, Since therefore the children, you and I, share in flesh and blood, he, speaking of Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, the same suffering, the same struggle, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear and death were subject to lifelong slavery. What this is describing is that the way that we are drawn out of our bondage to fear and our captivity to despair, the way that we are healed from the devastation of our sin and rebellion towards God, the way that we are raised up even out of final death and into eternal life 
is through God coming down into the pit himself. You see, the reason that we can be delivered is because Jesus was not. We covered this on Good Friday. On the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried out for help, but received none. He too sank down into death in the grave, and yet no heavenly hand was extended to him before it was too late. He too experienced the God's just anger against sin, but not as David describes it here as sort of mild and short-lived. Jesus experienced it full in fears. And he too experienced God turning his face away as abandonment and darkness overcame him. Verse 9 asks a really important question. The psalmist asks God a very logical question. It's this. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? How could death benefit anyone, God? And when David or any one of us asks this question, well, the obvious answer is there is none. There is no benefit in death. But when this question is asked of Jesus... And when this question is asked of Jesus' death, well, the answer is dramatically different, isn't it? Because not only did he go down into the pit through death and burial, but what we celebrate today on Easter is that he was the only one who also had the power to rise again up out of it. There's another Batman illustration there, I'm sure. (laughs) Acts 2, we're told this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Ain't no grave can hold this body down. But the remarkable thing here is that this wasn't just some sort of solo climb, so to speak. It wasn't just Jesus's sort of magnificent climb out of the grave, what we're told in Ephesians 4 is that Jesus descended into the lower regions and then ascended with what's called a host of captives. With a multitude of those who had been trapped in their plight, stuck in their despair. See, the good news of Easter is that when Jesus rose, he also brought up all those who trust in him. And the good news of Easter is that Jesus Christ descended into the death and the despair that every single one of us deserves so that we could ascend with him into a life and joy that only he deserves. He lowered himself down so that we, through trusting in him, could be raised back up with him, raised up out of our despair, raised out of our bondage to fear and worry and hopelessness and even, hallelujah, even one day raised up out of final death, out of the grave. And it's this good news of the resurrection that fills us with what's described here as unending joy and praise. The night is temporary. Sorrow is temporary. Joy lasts. 
The psalmist says in verse 11, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. And you have loosed my sackcloth, in other words, my funeral clothes, and clothed me with gladness. Now I'm in my Easter Sunday's best. There's a great story from Christian history regarding the great Protestant reformer Martin Luther, uh, who had his down moments. Quite a few, actually. And there was a season in his life where he was, like, totally depressed. Totally overcome by gloom and despair. And nothing anyone could do, nothing anyone around him could do to, like, snap him out of it. And no matter how much his wife Catherine tried to encourage him and remind him of the truths of the gospel that he was proclaiming, he was, like, stuck in despair. So she gets this brilliant idea one day. She goes upstairs, her and her children, and they get changed, they get dressed, and they come down to where Martin is, and they're dressed in black from head to toe, like total gothcore or whatever, like they live in L.A. or something like that. And Martin turns to them and says, what's, what's going on? Are you going to a funeral? And her response is amazing. She said, no, but since you act like God is dead, I'd figure I'd join you in your grieving. He got the point loud and clear. And he was reminded of what I believe every single one of us need to be reminded of of today. The truth that Jesus is alive changes our outlook on life and gives us reason, continual, ongoing, resilient reason for joy. It gives us hope that the best is yet to come. And the psalmist goes on and concludes in verse 12 that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. That is why we sing today, by the way. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, David concludes the psalm with a mysterious statement. I will give thanks to you forever. Now, don't gloss over that. That is like a very bold claim, right? It's one thing to say, God, you've saved my life. I will thank you for as long as I live. It's one thing to say, God, you've done so much in my life. With every breath I have remaining, I will praise you. I will praise you with as many days as I have. He takes it even further and says, I will sing forever. That does not just mean I will sing in the hard times and the good times. That does not just mean I will sing in the dark times and in the light. But he makes the claim that he will praise God on into eternity. He will continue to sing praises to God beyond the grave. And friend, that's the absolutely wild claim of the resurrection that you can make yourself today as well. That is the hopeful claim that can be yours today by crying out to God for mercy and help, by acknowledging that the pit of despair and death that is yours is way too deep and steep to climb out of yourself, that you are absolutely incapable of saving yourself, that you are absolutely incapable of producing lasting joy and hope. 
but that Jesus is. And that he's already provided for your rescue. This wild claim can be your claim today as well by offering your life to the one who has descended to meet you and by trusting in him alone to raise you up. And for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ today, for those who have been drawn up, that host of captives that have ascended with Jesus through faith, the question is, what now? What now? In verses 4 through 5, the psalmist does this strange thing. He's addressing God, and then all of a sudden, he turns his attention to the congregation. He starts talking to the people. And what he does is he's offering them hope and inviting them to join him in singing as well. And what this means for us is that when we are raised up with Jesus, we don't just say farewell, deuces, I'm out, good luck, (laughs) y'all. Those who have been drawn up out of the pit are then willing to descend again in order to meet other people in their despair, to meet other people stuck in their hopelessness in need, and there to meet them with the hope of Jesus Christ that has been extended to us. Who are we? We are like that church warden who says, you know what, there is so much in life that is out of our control, but it's Easter for goodness sake, and we're gonna celebrate. And we're gonna ring that bell as loud and as long as possible so that many men, women, and children can come and join in this hope as well. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...